good morning, everyone. Uh, as Alice said, my name is Paul, or you can call me Crooch. A lot of people do. Uh, I'm on not crutch. It's Crooch,ly not crutch,ly. Um, my last. Uh, <laughs> can I just say, you guys are looking beautiful this morning. Thank you for putting the effort in. Don't tell the evening service, but you guys are much better looking. Now, if you want to see if that's true or not, maybe don't come this evening. Um, <clears throat> but if you don't know me. I live in Adamsdown. I've been in Cardiff for about eight and a half years, uh, and I'm married to the wonderful Claire, and we love this church. Now, we're kicking off, as I just said, 2018 with our Fully Alive series, and we're halfway through. And over this series, we've looked at different things to help us in being fully alive. So James spoke two weeks ago on setting goals, and then he spoke last week on emotional maturity. And then this week, we're looking at spiritual maturity. Now, James said at the start of the series, although we're looking at each of these things separately, we've got to understand that they are all interlinked. And that actually, this process of becoming fully alive, it can't happen if we're only going to focus on one of these areas. So as you're listening to this talk, as you go back and listen to the, the other talks, and as you hear relational maturity next week, please hear it in this bigger context of fully alive. So <clears throat> spiritual maturity, it's a deep and it's a complex subject. And it's one that has lots of different ways that we could measure it or that we could grow in it. And this is something that I have been journeying through over the last six or so years. And I want to share today just one way in which we can grow in spiritual maturity. And that is learning the secret of being content. Now, from the beginning, I want to make a distinction. Being spiritually mature is not the same as being spiritually alive. See, there's an idea throughout the Bible that before we meet Jesus, we're spiritually dead. And then when we meet Jesus, we're born again and we become spiritually alive. Now, in Ephesians 2 verse 5, it says this, we are made alive in Christ through faith. And in that process, we're adopted into God's family. And as children, we receive the beautiful inheritance that comes with that. And this becoming alive, it's something that we can do freely, that happens with no effort on our part. It's because of what Jesus did when he died and he rose again. So you and I, regardless of who we are, regardless of what baggage we carry, what shame we feel, how, how messed up we think we are, that we can come freely into a relationship with Jesus. And the danger, as we look at this Fully Alive series, and we hear James talk about setting goals, and in each of these talks, you know, there's a, an idea that we're going to put effort into this process. The danger is that we can begin to believe that it's our effort that makes us alive. And from the beginning, I just want to say that is not the case. We are made alive because of what Jesus has done for us. And you might be here and you might be exploring Jesus. And if so, as Alice said in the break, you are so welcome here. And my prayer is that you would encounter something of Jesus this morning and you would catch something of what it means to be made fully alive by becoming spiritually mature and you would want to begin that journey with him. See, the difference between being spiritually alive and spiritually mature is the result of the effort that we put in to grow in our faith and in our relationship with Jesus. Earlier in the series, James quoted John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement, of which we are a part. And Wimber said this, I want to grow up before I grow old. Spiritual maturity is us growing up in our faith. Hebrews 5 verse 13 talks about it as moving from milk to solid food. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, initially we are made alive in Christ, 
And then through living in the reality of being sons and daughters of God, we become fully alive. And that is the process of spiritual maturity. Let me illustrate this with myself. When I came to university in 2009, I came to study theology. And I had one goal, know all of the answers. So I was a little ambitious at that point. <clears throat> and I was alive in Christ. I had a relationship with him. I knew him. But I was spiritually immature because my identity was rooted far more in my theological understanding of God than in being a son saved by grace. I, I remember one time James, in my second year, asked me a question. Do you think you're theologically arrogant? <clears throat> You've got a problem when your answer is, yeah, but I think I'm right. <laughs> Fortunately for you guys uh, and for my wife, I have grown a long way since then. And I've still got a way to go, but this is something that I have put a lot of effort in over the last six years. And it's from that place that I'm sharing today. So as I said, we're looking at just one area of growing in spiritual maturity, the secret of contentment. And fortunately, the Bible is really clear on this. And so we're going to base ourselves today in Philippians 4. So if you've got a Bible, let's jump in. Open it up to Philippians 4. We're looking at verses 10 to 13. If you've got a Bible, you're not sure where it is. It's about 100 pages from the back where you'll be. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen behind me. So it says this. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I have learned the secret of being content. I can do all this through him. Jesus, he strengthens me. So quickly, I want to give us a bit of context to this passage. So the book of Philippians is a letter from Paul to the churches in Philippi. And this letter is to churches that he planted. Uh, I don't know if you remember James's talk on Acts 16 last month, where he spoke about the different ways people come to faith. In that, he spoke about a lady called Lydia. And Lydia was converted as Paul was planting these churches in Philippi. So Paul is writing this letter back to the churches that Lydia would be a part of. Now, Philippi was a leading city in Macedonia. It was an economic hub. And Paul, when he is writing this letter to an economic hub, is in prison. And we don't exactly know where in prison he was, but there is ground to believe that he could be imprisoned in Rome and facing imminent threat of death. I'm not going to go into why, but it's because of the language used in chapter 1 and that Paul, as a Roman citizen, could only be uh, executed in Rome and that throughout his life he'd had threats against him for preaching Christ. So it's not conclusive, but it's not unreasonable to think that Paul may have been on death row when writing this letter. And whether he was or not, we need to understand he's in prison when he is writing, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He is writing about being content in prison in a letter he is sending to the economic hub of Macedonia to a church full of people who are likely affluent, full of business leaders like Lydia. And he is saying, I am content. But what does Paul mean by this? What does he mean by content? Well, if you Google the word, Google's dictionary will come up and say it's to be satisfied in a state of peaceful happiness. And the Greek word that Paul uses here in Philippians 4 is not dissimilar to that. It's a word that's uh, pronounced, uh, I think, 
Autokis. It's from two root words, autos, which means self, and archine, which means sufficient. There are three ways that this word can be translated, self-sufficient, satisfied, or content. And Paul is saying he is all of these things. He's saying my external circumstances do not dictate my internal peace. He is saying, I am content. And then it's in verse 13 that we find out why. He's saying, I am content because I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And Paul can only do this because he knows Jesus deeply. To hammer this home, in chapter 3, prior to this passage, Paul says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The secret of being content is that at the very core of who you are, you are satisfied because of Christ. And this contentment, it holds a mirror up to our lives and it asks, what is it that you are looking to to make you feel satisfied? Because Paul is saying here, whether my bank account is at five figures or whether I'm struggling to make ends meet, whether I own my own home or I'm sofa surfing, whether I am married or I'm single, whether I have a thriving social circle or I'm lonely, whether I am free or I am in prison, I have learned the secret of being content and it is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord that strengthens me. Surely... Surely that is being fully alive, not being swayed by our circumstances, not being knocked off course, not always looking to the next thing to make us feel satisfied, but being content, whatever is going on. And this is utterly countercultural because our society continually preaches a different message to us. And the scary thing is that we've often bought into it. Sean Acker, who's a Harvard uh, psychologist, says that in his years of research that spans 45 years, uh, sorry, 45 countries and varying economic uh, situations, he has found that overwhelmingly people have bought into a formula for happiness. And when he talks about happiness, it's not too dissimilar to how we're defining contentment. And there's probably a little bit less cheeses in what he calls happiness, but it's still about being satisfied. And he says that this formula affects everything we do, the way that we work, the way that we behave, the way that we parent. And it's this, if I work hard, I'll be successful. And if I'm successful, then I'll be happy. So what does success look like for you? In our materialistic society, I would say that success revolves around accumulating more. More money, a bigger house in a nicer area, a better job, a nicer car, better clothes, a nicer holiday the new technology. Stephen Furtick, who is an American pastor, says, unfortunately, the reality is that accumulating more is like drinking salt water. You can drink as much of it as you would like. You'll only get thirstier. But maybe for you, success isn't materialistic. Maybe you're sat here and you're like, actually, for me to be successful is for me to be loved. I just want to feel loved. I want to feel liked. I want to feel appreciated. I want to feel secure. Maybe it is in your social media presence. Maybe it is in being single or being married. Maybe it is in being a parent. Maybe those are the things that we look to for success. And whatever it is that we look to for our success, Aka says that if we look to this formula to success for our happiness, we are destined to fail. He says that the formula is scientifically broken and backward because every time you have a success... You just rewrite what success looks like. You get good grades, now you need to get better grades. You get a good job, now you need to get a better job. You hit your sales target, now your sales target changes. He says that we have pushed happiness or contentment over the cognitive horizon. 
Because if we are always looking to the next thing, we never get there. Success will never lead to contentment. But look, I know that there will be people in this room who are in desperate situations. I know people in this room who are in desperate situations. And you're probably sat here and inside your head you're screaming at me being like, Paul, I do not care about success. My life is falling apart. How on earth could I be content? And I understand that this could sound trite. But I promise you, it's not. I don't know what your situation is like. I don't know what it is that you're going through exactly, but I know what it was like for me when I was in a situation desperate for change. A number of years ago, my aunt was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. Now, I loved my aunt dearly. I had spent most summers with her when when I was growing up. And when she was initially diagnosed, it rocked our family. And I went out to America about three days after we heard the news, and I looked after her for the first six weeks. And it was so hard to see this woman who had run marathons, who was a leader in her profession, who was so strong and so caring, and who had always gone the extra mile for people, be so frail. And then to go through the pain of the loss of hair and the loss of strength and the loss of identity, and then all of the questions that come with that. And we initially had some good news. She responded well to the treatment, uh, and she eventually went into remission after about six or seven months. But unfortunately... After a couple of months, it came back. And as many of you you will know, when cancer comes back, it can come back very aggressive. And so that's what happened. And I was, at this point, uh, at a discipleship school on the other side of America to her. And I can remember staying up into the middle of the night, praying for her, worshipping over her. And it was not pretty. It was not the kind of worship that you would want to record and you would want to sell. It was painful and it was desperate intercession. It was full of anger that this was happening. I was calling on the angel armies to come and save her. My prayers were so raw. And as the cancer ravaged her body, and as my prayers seemed to be doing nothing, I had a choice. And this choice is the key to learning the secret of contentment. Do I respond with resentment or do I respond with faith? Because when faced with a situation like that, or the one that you are going through, the enemy is going to do all that he can to make you believe that God is not good. Paul says, I have learned to be content. We need to realize that contentment is an attitude we learn. It's not something that we ever achieve. As we learn this attitude, we begin to experience the peace of God, which transcends all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus that Paul talks about just verses before the passage we read today. This contentment means that in whatever situation you are in right now, you are able to encounter that peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace that we were singing about today. You do not have to leave this church building today not having encountered that peace. It doesn't mean, though, that we ignore your situation or how it's affecting you. It is right and it is holy that you should want to change it, that you should long to break through. And it is right and it is holy that as a church we would stand alongside you and we would pray for you and we would intercede for you. Hear me clearly, this is not trite advice. This is life-changing. This is a choice about how we respond to our circumstances. Do we respond with resentment towards God, towards others, towards ourselves even? Or do we respond with faith, believing the truth about God rather than the lie our situation would have us believe? For me, when my aunt was battling cancer, responding with faith looked like believing God is still good 
and he still heals. Unfortunately, my aunt lost her battle and I was heartbroken and of course I grieved deeply. As James said last week, we are not to ignore our emotions, we are to feel them deeply and take them to Jesus. You know, if you're angered by the injustice of your situation, don't sweep it under the carpet and pretend that you don't feel like that. Take that anger to the foot of the cross. James spoke last week about needing to read, to regulate, and to renew our emotions. So I'm not saying be ruled by your emotions, but I'm saying feel your emotion. Take it to Jesus and be renewed. Do not let the emotion of a situation define you, but please don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Now, when my aunt passed away, it would have been very easy for me to believe that God isn't good and that he doesn't heal. But I knew that he is good. I knew that he did heal. I had seen him do it. And I had a choice. Do I respond with resentment and bitterness towards God? And do I let my circumstances tell me who God is? And do I let my circumstances define me? Or do I respond with faith and let God tell me who he is and let God define me in that moment? See, my prayer is that all of us would know Jesus like Paul knew Jesus, that we could be in prison and that we could say, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. I would, my prayer is that you would know God's goodness like I know God's goodness, that you could suffer loss and you'd be able to say, I still know that he's good. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And it's that I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. The reality is that this is a process. As I said, this is an attitude that we learn. It is not something we achieve. And it is one in which we have to put effort in to learn. We have to lay the groundwork. So the question I want to leave us with today is this. What is it you need to learn about God to enable you to respond with faith rather than resentment to your situation. Is it like me that God is good and that he heals? Are you on that journey? Is it that God forgives you, that he has a plan for you, that he's for you, that he not only loves you, but he likes you? In Philippians, we see that Paul knows Jesus deeply and that he believes the truth about who God is. See, he isn't a spiritual infant. Now, don't get me wrong, he would have been when he was first made alive in Christ. He would have had so much to learn about who God really is, and he would have had a whole heap of unlearning to do from his bringing up. But see, he is a spiritual adult. He's standing firm in the truth of who God is, and he's saying, I will not let my circumstances dictate my inner peace. So he is able to be in prison and he is able to potentially face death and say, I'm content. I'm okay, I'm satisfied. My hope is that we would be a content people, that we wouldn't be rocked by our situations, that we wouldn't be swayed and knocked off course as soon as anything bad happens, that we would be content because of what Jesus has done for us, because we know him deeply. See, and what I love is that when we're content, we can be as successful and as ambitious as we can be, but we do it from a healthy place. See, when I said success doesn't lead to contentment, I didn't mean don't be successful and don't be ambitious. Contentment is the launch pad for our ambition. And it allows us to say, I am gonna be the best person at this job that I can be. I am gonna be the best husband or dad or mother or wife. I'm gonna be the best friend. I'm gonna be the best person I can be. And I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna put the effort in, I'm gonna go the extra mile, I'm gonna set my sights high. Because you know what? If I don't get it, if I don't get that next job, 
If I don't get married, if I don't have children, my value doesn't change. Because my value comes from the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and all that he has done for me. My inner peace is not dictated by my external circumstances or my external success. I have learned the secret of being content in any situation because I know Jesus. So what is it this morning that you need to believe about God that you could begin this journey of being content? What is it that you need to learn about God and believe about God to unlock the ambition within you from a healthy, healthy place? Now look, sometimes it is right and it is good to dive into super practical stuff. I love practical talks that lay down how you do this. But sometimes it's right to just let the Lord minister to our hearts and let him speak in. And we're going to go to ministry time in a few moments. But before we do that, I want to point you to four things that if you want to begin working this out, they will help you in a practical way. First is a book that James recommended last week called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzeri. We couldn't recommend it to you enough as a church. Loads of the staff team have read it, and it is brilliant. So go out and buy that. It's great. Secondly, I gave a talk on wholeness about two years ago, and in it there are two super practical tools that can help you walk out this and help you grow in maturity. Um, and we're going to find those talks, that talk for you, and we're going to send it out on social media this week so you can grab that talk. Thirdly, we have a prayer ministry called Sozo. I understand that when you're in a desperate situation, sometimes you're like, I do not know what's going on deep down. Sometimes you might just be going through, you might be just feeling a bit numb, and you're like, I do not know why I'm feeling like this. Something like Sozo is a brilliant way of just beginning to engage with the Lord and unpack some of what's going on. If you want to find out more about that, chat to the host team downstairs. And fourthly, guys, join a small group. They're launching this week. They are the heartbeat of this church. You cannot do this alone. They are the places that you'll become known, that you'll be fought for, that people will intercede for you, that you'll see the breakthrough, that you'll celebrate the breakthrough, you'll weep together, you'll laugh together. It's in that place that we do that. But as I said, look, those are, if you want to walk this practical journey out, go grab one of those resources, make use of them. But right now, there is nothing better we can do than invite the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord to minister to our hearts. So why don't we stand?